Good evening and welcome to French Football Weekly. I'm Philippa B and I'm joined by Jeremy Smith. Hi Jez. Hi, how you doing? And Rich Allen. Hi Rich. Good evening. Right, so since we last spoke, there's been quite a lot going on. We've had three rounds of Liga. We've had three different types of European competition. We've had an international break with three different um, age uh, teams. Uh, uh, getting involved and we've got a cup final on Saturday and then some Coupe de France as well as Ligue 1 over the weekend and next midweek. So where to start? Maybe with the international break which is at least theoretically um, you know, close uh, close in memory. So France played uh, one qualifying game against Luxembourg and friendly against Spain. Of the two, Jez, which do you think was maybe most important, and how? Uh, I, don't, I think the um, the Luxembourg game is definitely the most important because obviously that's that's the one that counted for something. It was important to get the win. The performance wasn't that crucial, luckily, because it wasn't the best of performances. But um, you know, they break down a Luxembourg team, which I think is uh, improving. A little bit all the time, getting a bit harder to beat. Um, the the Holland game at the same time um, went France's way, with Holland surprisingly losing. So um, you know that, but that's basically all France could do was get the win and move on. So so that helps. I mean, it's possible that maybe one day we'll look back and say that the Spain match was more important because it was um, the. F- Debut of Bakayoko and Tolisso, who starred when France won the World Cup in 2018. Who knows? But um, <laughs> it was just a friendly. It was not the best of performances. Uh, Spain were clearly the better team, but at the same time, they were a lot more experienced. And you know, even in the first half, when everyone was having a go at France and saying how embarrassing it is, less than 40% possession at home. Frankly. They they rarely looked troubled defensively. It was kind of typical Spain, lots of pretty football without that much cutting edge, and you know it really it took a, a France error to to um, help Spain open the scoring. So it wasn't the best, but I don't think it matters too much. Uh, you know, a few very good players got um, playing time. Obviously, Mbappe came on and played well against Luxembourg and started and played well against Spain. Um, Deschamps got to uh, play around with a different um, formation, which didn't work very well, but at least he's given it a try. That's what friendly games are for. Um, And then we move on. So, yeah, definitely the Luxembourg game was more important, but despite the defeat, I think there were useful things that happened against Spain as well. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, Mbappe was mentioned there, obviously, but um, given that there were uh, quite a lot of new faces um, turning up or people who hadn't had much playing time before getting a chance, Rich, who would you pick out as maybe being uh, having had a good kind of first stint with the seniors over those games? Um, I think probably um, Dembele. Um, he's had a few caps already prior to these, but still pretty... pretty uh, Fresh when it comes to the senior side, I thought he was, you know, he looked menacing against Luxembourg. He provided, you know, he only came on very late in the, the Spain game, but immediately when he came on, there was a bit of that direct urgency that he brings. Um, 
I think um, it, I think ironically, although he picked up a knock, um, I think um, uh, I think Sidibe um, probably could come out of this feeling like he's probably nailed down his place because Jale was was okay, but both he and Kozawa did put in a pretty woeful shift against Spain. So I think Mendy and and Sidibe can come out thinking, you know what? We, we could have these spots nailed down for the next few years. Um, I mean, in terms of others, Griezmann worked hard, which we know, but I felt I did feel so sorry for Bakayoko. I'm a big, big fan of his, and and so unfortunate to have made that error that led to the uh, led to the Spain penalty. Um, great credit to him that he came out immediately after, put his hands up, and said, you know, look, I feel really bad. It's a shame I've made this error, but I just want to move on. He wants to focus on the, um, the the League Cup final this weekend, so I'm hoping it doesn't doesn't damage him too much because we did see in that game that big error aside, some really you know some of the real positive points that Bakayoko can bring. You know that real powerful direct running from deep that he you know we've seen time and time again for Monaco. So um, I think credit where credit's due, Deschamps has has brought in a lot of players that. Admittedly, perhaps he was under pressure slightly to bring in, um, but it was refreshing to see a, a, a France squad containing, I think it was 13, 14 league and base players, I think. Maybe may be wrong there, but there were certainly seven or eight involved in the Spain game. Um, so, you know, that that's, posi- that's really positive to see. It's positive for the league, um, but... Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a great performance against Spain. It wasn't the best against Luxembourg. But I think there there still have been, uh, you know, a useful learning curve for for Deschamps and his uh, sort of wider squad. Yeah, and thinking about obviously wider squad and and the future, there were other teams in action over the break as well. The under 19s unfortunately got eliminated from Euro Euro qualifying losing to Bosnia and Bulgaria and drawing with Israel. But the under-20s were taking part in a friendly tournament uh, in preparation for the World Cup in the summer, um, where they beat Senegal, lost to England and drew with Portugal. Now, those games, uh, obviously, again, friendlies, but because of the tournament tournament format, uh, there were also some interesting things to learn from those. When the feed wasn't cutting out completely, which when I was watching the game against England involved missing the goal and the end of the match. So, um, were there any uh, key play... (laughs) It was on the keep, um, strangely enough. Um, From those games for the under-20s, were there any kind of standout players um, or key results, things to learn from there, do you think, that uh, they'll take forward to the, the big tournament in the summer? Um, I think, uh, I mean, Harrit has, has perhaps, he had a good couple of games. Uh, I know he's he started brightly this season with Nantes, has had a little bit of uh, a bit of a run-in with, with Conseil Sao of late, um, but he looked bright, Sam Maximin looked bright in uh, in the games that he played. Um, I'd be a bit concerned for uh, Augustin. Um I don't think he shone as much as he should have done as a perhaps quote unquote more senior player in that side. Perhaps a bit more experience. Um Toussaint, we know what a great player he is. Um, you know, we saw a lot from him. Um 
there's there's definitely a lot of players I think that we we need to be keeping a close eye on from this squad that that will be you know will have a starring role in the the World Cup um, in, in a couple of months' time, and then obviously going on to you know under twenty ones and beyond. So <coughs> it's uh, although they didn't you know win per se this tournament. Um, again, there's a lot of positives I think to take from this for for several players, and quite a lot of uh, depth too. I think they've uh, they've got a a lot of different options, which obviously is good because there will of course be a too long tournament this year as well. So we meet, may see another situation where there are actually two under twenty squads named this summer, one for each tournament, which again, you know, shows that there's uh, a lot of depth uh, and, and possibilities there. So. Anything on those uh, other ga- other international games for you, Jez? Um, well, um, just quickly to mention, I think the under-17s also qualified for the next Euros ah. as well, so uh, maybe that's a bit too young, but they might be outside bets for too long contenders if there are two squads. But um, I, d- I thought it was, a, it was a strange tournament. Again, I assume that um, Ludovic Bertelli, the coach, was kind of playing around and trying different formations because he sort of changed the teams around a lot. Um, Tuzar, who we're all fans of, only started, I think, the, the England match, bizarrely. You'd have thought that he'd be the kind of player you'd build a lot of the team around. Um, so I don't know if he was just trying different formations. As Rich said, it was kind of strange seeing the, the forward line, considering um, uh, Augustin Mbappe, Seward, sort of um, scored pretty much all the goals in the in the tournament when, um, last summer. Um, Mbappe, obviously, for great reasons, he was up in the in the senior squad, and I would quite like to see him back in the squad for the summer. I think, but as Rich said, Augusta kind of was suffering a little bit from from warming the bench at PSG, which is a pity. But then at the same time, he gave Turam a chance, who's um, himself has been a little bit in the doldrum since a couple of summers ago when they when he won the I can't remember if it was the Euros or the World Cup for his age group then so it was nice to see oh. him sort of scoring again for France or in the France shirt um, and yeah just to see you know considering the age group you look at the under 19s you look at the under 20s it's stunning how many of them are household names um, and then obviously looking at Mbappe and Dembele, you could go down two age groups um, and, and they're getting into the senior squad. So hopefully it bodes well if everyone keeps uh, you know, sensible heads on their shoulders and progressing as you'd expect them to as they get older and maybe keep away from the PSG squad. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Um, so moving on in a sense, down from international and on to Europe. Um, Now, the last pod we did, I think we were discussing, uh, after PSG obviously won 4-0 at the Parc des Princes against Barcelona, how, if at all, they could screw that up in the second leg. And the day after, (laughs) oh my lord, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Possibly, no, nobody saw that coming. I mean, it Obviously, it's been done to death over the past couple of weeks because it was so weird. Um, is there anything else to say about it other than bloody hell? It, it can't. It, yes. it can't. It, it can't be put on 
I'm not having this. Barcelona were magnificent. PSG completely balls this up. As far as I'm concerned, that's end of. I'm not having this. It's a a remarkable, you know, Barcelona performance. Okay, yes, they had to score the goals, but you know, I'm fairly certain bloody Nancy would have scored six past them uh, that evening. PSG just completely and utterly froze uh, for, for for me. That's what I thought was weird because obviously in the, in the first game PSG came out of the blocks really really quickly and basically it was like they made Barcelona panic and it worked and so it seemed very strange that in the return leg Barcelona did pretty much the same to to PSG and PSG completely panicked and just kind of fell apart twice almost I mean that that final kind of eight minute spell was just they looked like they didn't know what they were doing at all so yeah nice i mean yes. like you said they they pretty much lost that match twice because you know a couple of minutes into the second half they were they were on the rack and then then they start playing um they're only at that stage they they start playing how they should have played from the start um actually going forward a little bit um you know have a couple of good chances cavani scores which means that you know, from only being, I think, one goal away, or at least one goal away from tying the tie, um, suddenly they need three more goals. Um, Di Maria is an idiot, and you know, after goading the fans, then this is a relatively simple one-on-one. I'm uh, there as well, even though Mascherano said it was a foul. I'm not even having that was a foul because Di Maria had already sliced the ball wide when Mascherano caught him. Um, and you know, the only thing that I can say in PSG's defence I guess is that if they'd had the video referee that they had for France Spain they probably would have scraped through because I think the first one was a penalty but I, the second one was you know, I think it was quite clearly a Suarez dive but PSG fans are clinging to that a little bit too much it was almost um, karmic they almost got what they deserved because it was such a, a cowardly performance right from the start um, I, you know, I think Finally, and we've been saying it for a while, finally people have started publicly saying, you know, what the hell with Thiago Silva. Emery, you have to... I don't, you know, you assume that he told them to go out in the first half, staying back, staying compact, let Barcelona hit you, which was a mistake, but then... And I think, you know, he, he did seem very nervy on the touchline, which probably didn't set a great turn. But to his credit, um, presumably he gave them a rollicking and told them to change tactics in the second half because for for most of the second half, that's where they looked a little bit more positive and a little bit more comfortable. But on the pitch, Thiago Silva set an awful tone. As, you know, as a few people have pointed out, the defensive line has to go with the defender who's furthest back and that was consistently Thiago Silva and his job is to be giving orders and pushing everyone forwards not retreating further and further it was I think it was a pathetic performance by him um, and disappointing all around like you look at Rabio who looked like a, a world beater in the first leg and just was was pretty much anonymous in the second and you know I have to admit, part of me did think it was kind of funny, but it was also a little bit humiliating as a French football fan. 
um, you know, listening to, for example, Barry Glendening on the on the Guardian's podcast, even after the first leg, saying he still thinks PSG could go out because they're sort of typically spineless French, which obviously sort of, um, you know, is is not not very nice to hear as someone who's he's half French and, and is proud of it. And then it turns out that he pretty much had it right. And we'll move on, but thank goodness for Monaco. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. This is the one that, that makes you feel a bit happier because you certainly couldn't call those performances cowardly, although you might question uh, defensive line issues from both teams involved in um, in the, the two legs. So Man City 1-5-3 at the Etihad and then Monaco 1-3-1 at the Louis Deux. So that's 6-6. Six, six on aggregate, so actually more goals than the the PSG Barcelona mashup, but yes, that was um, just rollicking good fun as we are kind of used to from Monaco now, but it's nice to see them doing it in a variety of competitions. Um, obviously, Mbappe had a great uh, great uh, performance there as well. Was um, there anybody else that we want to pick out from Monaco that we haven't already picked out? I think. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, go on. Okay, um, I think Fabinho and Bakayoko were, were excellent mm-hmm. in both legs. Um, I agree with what Rich said earlier. I don't think it was, you know, it's unfortunate Bakayoko's debut, but I certainly don't think that's going to be his one and only chance because I think he's been fantastic all season. Um, and I think they were great. Um, mm-hmm. Mbappe, we know about. I mean, it was, I think it was actually pretty much a, a really good team performance. And especially when you consider in the second leg um, that Monaco are arguably missing their, their two leaders, with Falcao at the front and Glick at the back, I think it was all the more impressive. Yeah. And, you know, when I said that PSG, in a way, lost that match twice, in a sense, Monaco won it twice because you can imagine after, with a young team, getting ahead overall in the tie and then conceding, they could quite easily have, you know, I'm sure at that stage Barry Glendening probably thought that was that's the tie done and dusted. But for Monaco to to react the way they did was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and and as well as missing Click in the second leg, I think they were also missing uh, Jemison, another first yeah. choice uh, centre back in the first leg. So yes, they did concede quite a bit, but you could almost you could kind of understand why. And uh, I thought, um, see, it was Andrea Raji who came in. Um, to, to cover and did some amazing kind of last last ditch hoiks into the stand before I think uh, he limped off just before City scored their goal and it kind of so as you say you you, you could you could have maybe anticipated that you know one of the veterans has gone off they've just conceded um, and uh, but their heads didn't drop um, and yeah that was a really a really promising performance so they're playing. Is Borussia Dortmund in the next round? So I Should think we're another low thinking, scoring <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that could be one for the people trying to write reports on the final whistle, just having to tear their laptops up and throw <laughs> them away. I don't know. So as well as uh, obviously the Champions League, uh, <clears throat> Lyon have been um, 
battling their way through the Europa League and had a really good set of results over Roma. They kind of bossed the second half of the first leg, winning 4-2. Um, they did uh, lose away in Rome, but they did get an away goal. So they uh, go through 5-4 on aggregate and have drawn Besiktas in the next round, which should be, you know, a calm and pleasant and um, friendly affair. So we've got um, Lyon uh, looking pretty good in Europe and uh, with a, a decent chance to go to go through as well but we've also had some other European competition which was the Women's Champions League over the international break we had a kind of Germany v France affair with PSG facing Bayern and Lyon facing Wolfsburg now PSG actually lost the first leg away in Bayern but um, kind of rolled their visitors in the second leg 4-0 and Leon Wolfsburg was a really kind of uh, cagey, interesting, tense uh, set of matches. OL won 2-0 in Wolfsburg uh, with goals from Abeli and Marajan, but then lost 1-0 uh, to a late penalty uh, at home, which set up an extremely tense last 10 minutes. Uh, there seemed to be some uh, stern words being said between Carolina Sega and Wendy Renard after the final whistle, but everybody else was just kind of celebrating that they're through again. So they're both through. I think we're still waiting to find out um, who else will go through to the semi-finals with them. Um, but yeah, both French teams still in that, so that will be uh, another chance for glory. Did either of you see any of either of those games? bit tricky to find but um wolfsburg ol uh, um was uh ol wolfsburg rather was a, a really kind of interesting uh game i was wasn't following that, wasn't that the, yesterday was, say, was that the that was a final then you a couple of or so years ago, was couple, it? yeah, a couple of a couple of years ago, actually, Elise Busaglia, after the final whistle was interviewed, obviously XOL now at Wolfsburg, and said, you know, these are possibly to the two two of the best club women's clubs in in Europe. So meeting now was a bit of a disappointment, but you could see it made that match really good because obviously with you know some of the women's results are silly scores like OL beat Zurich 17-0 on aggregate in the previous round in the previous round not like way early in the competition so to actually see uh teams going toe to toe being KG not scoring oodles of goals is actually very interesting so um, I was at that's... that previous Lyon Wolfsburg match um because mm -hmm. it was yeah the Champions League final it was in London that year so I went and Craven it was Cottage it, yeah. uh, Stamford Bridge and it was ah. uh, Lyon's first defeat in 180 matches if no one believes that yes. in the jinx um, and then yesterday's one I, I followed I didn't watch it but I followed it as it happened on Lekip and the only pity was that Lyon couldn't get a win or at least a draw or at least a goal last night just because they played at the at the new stadium um, and PSG played at the Parc des Princes, so and apparently both got a very good turnout. So that's that's really yeah. good to see. I think. Yeah, I think one thing I noticed was, in a sense, both the German teams kind of had single standout strikers, at least in Europe. Uh, Vivian uh, Mediema, who scored the Bayern goal in Bayern, um, and Jakobi for Wolfsburg, whereas PSG and OL both share the goals around a lot. Now, obviously, if OL are putting 17 past Zurich, you'd expect a lot of people to have a goal. But it's much more level. You know, nobody from those two has got, um, you know, double figures in this competition. They're all... Uh, it's 
that they've all got a lot of threats coming uh, from a lot of different places. So whoever, if they play each other next, because of course that's happened before in the Women's Champions League, um, that would be very interesting. But also if they do get, I think City are playing Fortuna at the moment. I'm not sure what happened with Barca and Rosengard. It's, so, um, it's the... PSG Barca in the semi. Oh, so they can right. only meet in the so, final. Okay. So um, that's going to be you know, again, the possibility of, uh, you know, an all-French final this time instead of, I think, a semi-final last time. So that's uh, pretty exciting as well. So moving on to other <coughs> knockout games, we do have the Coupe de la Ligue final on Saturday, which sees Monaco play PSG. So on that, we've got one team very cheerful, one team maybe not so much. Uh, what do we? What do you see happening there? Rich, any predictions? Uh, my prediction is is that Monaco do not let this cloud their league <laughs> run in. Um, uh, it, it's it's going to be uh, well. I'd like to. Th- I'd, I want to say it's going to be a really good game. Um, it's in uh, it's in Lyon, I think, isn't it this this year? Yeah. Uh, yes. I think they're hosting the final. Um, I want to say it's going to be a good game. I think I think Monaco without Sidibe without Falcao. I think PSG are missing Marquinhos. Yeah. And I'm not sure how fit Kimpembe is. So could be uh, could be potential interesting defensive uh, defensive lineup for PSG. Um, I, I think Monaco Monaco will be wanting to will be wanting to target this. I think they're going to be wanting to, you know, they. I would like to think they've got Ligue 1 almost almost there. Um, apologies, Monaco, for eight weeks' time when I've cursed you on on that. But um, uh, I think they they can really now look to hammer home at um, and you know sort of try and make a real point of you know what we are the dominant team now in France. It's it's sort of it's it, this is this is our league. This is our you know domestic tournament. So I think they're going to be really really pushing hard to win. This. Similarly, I think PSG will be wanting to do the same as well. You know they, you know they, they are still within a shout of Liga, no matter what I just said. Monica, they are still within, with 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 a shout of that because they're, they're not. Yeah, I think they're only three points behind. Three points. Um, yeah. uh, and and you know Emery's going to be under huge pressure to to, you know, after sort of failing in the tournament he was brought in to do well in, um, he's going to be under massive pressure now, uh, on the domestic scene. So, I think with the fact that both teams are going to be so eager for such different reasons to to win this final i think should touch wood make it a you know a fun spectacle for the for the fans just one little bit of context there's the coupe de france quarterfinals midweek monaco play on the tuesday so only get two days rest they're playing lille PSG play on the Wednesday and they're away at Avranche who are third tier side so possibly PSG might be thinking they've got um, in a sense less to worry about in the Coupe de France whether Monaco you know will um, have to balance a few things there as well so that gives a bit extra maybe uh, pressure on Monaco that they've got less rest and a tougher opponent to play uh, midweek but Jez how do you see this going? Um, for some reason, I'm sort of leaning slightly towards PSG for this one. Um, I think there's there's more pressure on them because they're obviously in uh, fewer competitions now, and 
um, it's it's not in their hands in terms of Ligue 1 and I just think some of Monaco play, players have looked a little bit um, tired recently they've you know, most have now been on international duty this week and, and for some it's been a new experience and um, certainly something they're not necessarily as used to as some of PSG's players um, and for the reason that you just said I think possibly you know somewhere subconsciously they might not be really going at it hammer and tongs in the same way that PSG will be um, just because it is the least important of the four competitions they're still in um, I do think it will be a good game though hopefully high scoring but I, th I think PSG might nick this one just because it might mean a little bit more to them. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, I hope it doesn't affect um, Monaco in, in terms of other competitions and certainly the, the league. Mm -hmm. So elsewhere in the, the Coupe de France, which we'll be previewing uh, early next week, um, so Avranche are a third-tier side who are hosting PSG. We've also got Angers playing Bordeaux, Monaco playing Lille, and the other, the amateur side, and this is Fréjus Saint-Raphael from the fourth tier CFR, who will be, I say, hosting Gangon. I think they're borrowing a stadium in Cannes um, for practical reasons. So we're going to be covering all of those, but those are those matches are happening midweek, so keep an eye out for those. See if there are uh, any more giant killings in the Coupe de France. So... Back to the, the league, and obviously said we've had three rounds since we last spoke, which have included some extremely kind of um, uh, large margins, um, including Gangon putting five past Bastia, Bordeaux putting five past Montpellier, and a variety of other quite large margins, but also some really kind of tight games for some of the, the guys at the top of the table. PSG beating Nancy 1-0 beating Lorient 2-1 and then obviously uh, against Lyon um, in the last round before the international break 2-1 which is a much more acceptable tight result. Uh, are there any key games from the last couple of rounds that are going to inform what kind of what happens next? Anything that uh, that stood out from those? Jez, any favourites? <laughs> I have to try to remember. It feels like ah, it's been so yeah, I've ago. got I've got them all written down with colour coding for how many goals there were. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to buy time while I look up the fixtures by saying that um, Mets have had a pretty good um, few weeks and are actually not that far off from the the top yeah. half of the table, which is very bizarre. Um, Two draws against Rennes and Saint Etienne and a win over. Bastia, you've got your points back and you get the catch-up game against Lyon kind of during the Coupe de France, I think, on Wednesday. Yeah, it's so. looking reasonably good. Um, I think that actually the the of the three, Bastia is probably the worst performance and um, against Saint-Etienne they looked excellent, including a fantastic first-minute goal by Ismail Assar who should become a big star, I think. Um, and yeah, I think the first two were both sort of last-minute equalisers conceded. So it looks good for them at the moment. In terms of what else is going on, I think um, that PSG result against Nossi, um was extremely sketchy. Nossi were were pretty unlucky not to come away from that with anything. But then Nossi followed it up with um, a stunning come from 
ahead defeat, um, two nil up at home to the bottom club, and somehow managed to to lose to Lorient. And I think it was after that match that um, Nancy's manager was accidentally caught in a microphone, um, slagging off his team and mainly his goalkeeper. So I don't think things are great there at the moment. Um, Marvellous. So, you know, Lorient's good result and, you know, possibly I feel like a couple of times they've they've come away with fewer points than they, they deserve. So they're still in trouble, but they've given themselves a fighting chance and really put Nossi back in a mess. But I think the, the yeah. team that's been particularly impressive the last few weeks, he, um, who we've been meaning to mention for a while, is Bordeaux. And, no offence, but I suppose coming off the back of a, a five-goal, yep. four-goal win, it's probably a good time. It's a traditional scoreline. <laughs> it's the traditional scoreline. I should just bet on it every time. So, yes, there <laughs> um, But, yeah, no, quietly, Gulvenek is really kind of putting his mark on that team. He's sort of, you know, some of the players that you'd have expected to be um, arguably the, the stars or the leaders of the team at the start of the season, like Toulonon and... Um, Menez, you know, haven't really done the business, but it's, it's players like um, Malcolm and Vada who, who really are doing a fantastic job, and you know, it is gradually becoming Gulvenek's team. And again, he's another one that we've all always loved here, and it's good to see him doing a good job and making Bordeaux entertaining for the first time in a while mm. as well. Yeah, and uh, their match away at Nice is the big game finishing the Ligue 1 round this weekend. So that should be a really uh, good game. Obviously, Nice are still third and there's still that big 14-point gap down to OL despite the game in hand. I think uh, C- since last time, I think Cyprian got injured, which is really sad. Mm. It was a horrible-looking injury. and yeah. you know, He was a real contender for player of the season, let alone young player of the season. So... You have to think that's going to affect Nice. Yeah, I think Nice do appear to have enough of a cushion that they just need to not do anything stupid to a certain extent, but they've still got some great players um, kicking around there. So, you know, there should should be some uh, some exciting play in, the, in that big round. Um, yeah, I think the only thing which, I would perhaps uh, just say for Nice is it's not the easiest of run-ins they've got. You know, they've got Bordeaux. They're away at I know this sounds silly, but they're away at Lille. You never know what 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 you know what Lille are going to turn up. You know they've got to go away at Toulouse. They're at home to PSG, and in their final three games, um, two of them are away at Marseille and away at Lyon. Um, you know Lyon win that that game in hand. You know brings them points closer, and you know, you never know. You never you never know. It's it's a difficult it's a difficult run in for Nice. Considering they've now got to do it without probably their two best players of the season in player and Cyprian now. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Um, looking forward to maybe the next round, but also um, casting back to the previous rounds. Are there any key games that, that you've seen or anticipate um, coming up, Rich? Um, just to look back at the previous round and, and following on from, from a fixture that Jez mentioned, that. Lorient win at Nancy with the, with the last minute winner potentially could be huge. You know, we've spoken on on previous podcasts how we all thought Lorient seemed doomed, you know, give them league the status already. All of a sudden, they're only three points from safety. They've dragged in another rival in Nancy by, by turning that game around. That was an absolutely massive win, that was. And probably 
across the last few weeks one of the most significant results that we've had. Um, in terms of the coming weekend, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, I think you're probably looking at, at Bastia v Lille, maybe. Um, nice. And Lorient at um, Caen as well. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you for that, don't uh... quite know what Caen side are turning up at the minute. So, you know, Lorient will want to, want to uh, you know, not let that, that result against Nancy be some kind of fluke or one-off. You know, they're going to want to build on that. So, it's, you know, it's at the bottom where I think a lot of the interesting stuff's happening in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, um, Dijon are down there as well. They're level on points with Nancy. Um, but they still strike me as a team that kind of plays really uh, fun football from time to time, but just gets massively unlucky. They've... Uh, you know, managed to lose one nil to Nice, draw one one with Rennes, um, lose one nil to Saint Etienne. You know, sometimes it feels like they're kind of doing the fine margin thing that Nice were doing earlier in the season, but just the wrong way round. So I think they're away at OM at the weekend, so you wouldn't hold out much hope for them. They could be the ones kind of getting more mired in that uh, red zone. I think the one thing, um, the one thing with Dijon, up. I think we've we've mentioned before as well is. They score goals. Mm. Um, you know, they just they they've stopped doing that as much. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you look at goals scored, and aside from from Montpellier, you have to go all the way up to Bordeaux in sixth for a team that scored more. Mm-hmm. So you know, whilst they've still got that, um, you know, they're, they're, there's a chance there, and I think that's what could potentially will be the downfall of the likes of of Bastia, the likes of Nancy, is just that they're conceding lots and not scoring many, which obviously yeah. fatal combination. Yeah. And and have absolutely no player consistency because they keep having to rotate out suspensions. Um, because of the cup, cup final, we've obviously got two games in hand coming up, one of which is Mets PSG, Jez, so uh, you know that's another game in hand to replace Mets' previous game in hand, uh, game in hand, which will be uh, taking place on Wednesday. But the other one is that Monaco were due to be playing Saint Etienne. That's actually not yet been scheduled. Um, uh, Mets PSG will be on the 18th of April, but Monaco Saint Etienne is yet to be confirmed because, of course, Monaco was still busy um, in certain other midweek commitments. So Saint Etienne have been in a bit of a strange run. Um, also since being knocked out of Europe. So them having, uh, you know, kind of, in a sense, points, points to make up there or, or something is making that kind of fifth to ninth. Can we push it to tenth? Actually, it goes all the way down to twelfth, really. Um, that kind of... Thirteenth. Uh, Let's say thirteenth. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes, Jen. Um, <laughs> but looking at the kind of uh, race for... Um, you know, trying to get fifth or sixth spot if we assume that obviously one of the top two is going to win the the League Cup, Coupe de France probably the same thing. You know, it is really really tight there. You've got from OM in fifth on forty six, and to lose, I am going to stop at Toulouse in twelfth on thirty seven. You know, that's they are they are quite sort of uh, close under that eighth to twelfth. There's these kind of little groups, these little clumps, putting themselves together, and if St. Etienne don't pull themselves together, as it were, is there a danger that they kind of drop further away? Can we see anybody else 
getting into that Lyon, Marseille, Bordeaux group um, that's currently fourth to sixth. I think there's um there's a five point gap between Saint Etienne in seventh and Rennes in eighth. So mm. I mean it's going to take a bit of a run, and you look at all those teams: Rennes, Angers, Guingamp, Nantes, Toulouse. They're not really known for their consistency in recent weeks. Um, so I think it would take a slip up. I think I can see Saint Etienne sort of um, dropping off. Yeah, but I'm not sure about Lyon, Marseille, Bordeaux. I you know, I think they'll all drop points, and I still don't think that Marseille have been playing that impressively, certainly away from home. Um, but you know, they've been doing what they need to do to be up there. Um, like, yeah, I, I don't think I could see, for example, Ren possibly, um, you know, with a good win behind them, getting seventh. But I don't, I can't see. Um, I'd be surprised if that the top six, it is as it is now. Um, wasn't uh, not I'm not saying anything about the order, but I'd be surprised if that wasn't the final six at the end of the season, top six at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, Rich, you, do you agree with that? I, I do on the basis that Rennes, Gangon, Nantes, Toulouse can't put runs together. Um, you know, I mean, for you know, Rennes, still we've only bloody won one game this this calendar year so far, still. Yet we're eighth, which speaks perhaps volumes about that that mid-table okay. group of teams. Uh, but no, no I'd, I'd agree with Jez. I think uh, Saint-Étienne will always be there or thereabouts. As frustrating as it is sometimes with Saint-Étienne that they, you know, we, we moan about their sort of dull style of play, yet they bloody well still keep getting those results that keep getting them those top seven, which I do think at times... Flatters them. Keep getting them a Euro- European place, which they then throw away. <laughs> do anything with, which is massively frustrating as the Europa League watcher uh, correspondent for, uh, for the team. Anyway, so we've we've got those kind of groupings um, setting up, as you say, top three, and then there's a 14 point gap, and four, five, six, seven, and then there's a five point gap. We've got another one, kind of a bit further down. It's starting to coalesce, but there's still the possibility that kind of one of those inverted commas six-pointer results anywhere in the in the table could could really still shake things up with uh, the the final um, the final games to go. So uh, we will be, as I said, uh, previewing the cup final and the Coupe de France for next week. Um, and obviously bringing you all the news from uh, from Liga. Is there anything else anybody wants to cover? Um, there was one other yes. thing that we wanted to mention. We, we talked earlier about um, Women's Champions League and you know the recognition that um, Lyon and PSG have got um, by by being invited to play in the in the main stadium um, this week. Um, also, I mean it's men's football, but um, Corinne Diak, who's the, the coach of Clermont, is, I think, coaching her 100th match for them this coming week. So we wanted to sort of give a shout out to her and the fantastic job that that she's done. Um, not always in easy circumstances when she first arrived. I mean, arguably well, still yeah. not in terms of, you know, the, the money available at the club, having to sell um, last year's top scorer. Um, I think I read that it's pretty close between wins, draws, and defeats, but she's got more wins than anything else, and you know, you've got to 
take your hat off to the job she's doing there. Yeah, definitely. I think when she came in, which obviously was after a fairly um, involved series of events involving them trying to get Helena Costa in and that not working out, I think there were only 17 senior players when she joined um, and no money. So um, she's done an amazing job uh, there. Very no-nonsense. I think you can tell she used to be a defender. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she's uh, she's done a, a really great job in very trying circumstances and, so and she, she, a great anniversary to have she also got the best out of Adrian Unu as well which Christian Gorkouf has yet to do so <laughs> there we go so it's been great covering everything and we will be back soon to uh, round up more Liga and Cup and other European action so from me and from Jez and from Rich thank you for listening and we'll speak to you again soon Bye-bye.